0: But first, we start with Vancouver's proposed new parking fees and pollution charges for gas-powered new vehicles, up to a thousand bucks a year if you own a gas-guzzling new trucker SUV. This one's heating up here now. Now have a listen to this. Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart on this morning with Simi Sarah, and he was asked just straight up, do you support this plan? Here's what he said.
1: I support the process at this point. So, uh, you know, we've got a climate emergency here all over the planet, and uh, we have to find innovative ways to uh, reduce our emissions. And so that's uh, last November. We asked staff to do that. We asked them to go away, give us, you know, a range of ideas, look what they're doing in other cities, look what they're doing across the country, around the world, come back to us. Uh, Don't be afraid to bring ideas that may or may not be popular but give us space to talk them over, hear from the public, and then make a decision.
0: Okay, he supports the process there. Uh, not too enthusiastic, I thought. Here he is talking about how he's basically not sold on this parking fee idea.
1: I'm not convinced that this proposal fully meets the principle of equity. And uh, I'm not alone there. My inbox is filled with messages, mostly from renters who are concerned that this new fee uh, will add up to $100, a, you know, hundreds of dollars a year, perhaps, uh, for them in the future. And I think that's uh, where we have to, you know, somebody right. that owns a $10 million house and has three Range Rovers parked in their garage won't pay this, uh, but somebody who's a renter living in a basement suite will.
0: Okay, let's get the other side of it now with my guest, John Cooper, Vancouver Park Board Commissioner. He's running to be the mayor of Vancouver, hoping to replace Kennedy Stewart in that office. And I'm very pleased to welcome him back. John Cooper, thank you for coming on.
2: Well, thanks for having me, Mike. I'm shocked by the uh, you know, the, the mayor's comments as if, as if he's just sitting there and it's on remote control and these reports are coming forward and he's, he doesn't know what's coming uh he's got a million dollar budget he's got a chief of staff he has some control of the agenda he knows very well uh this wouldn't have come forward if he didn't believe that he had support of uh council to move this forward so uh i I thought his comments were quite disingenuous
0: yeah well he sounded a little nervous about the whole thing like he didn't sound exactly woke there you know he seemed a little nervous about it i mean what's your analysis of it do you think he's worried a public backlash against this stuff
2: well, I think that he, he you know there 's a lot of unintended consequences, and you know he was trying to give an example, which was I, I thought it kind of a ridiculous example. He mentioned a prep chef in East Vancouver who buys a new truck he doesn 't want him to pay a thousand dollars him or her well it 's unlikely that a prep chef is buying a new truck uh, <laughs> when they 're just starting their career so i, I don 't think he thought it out, and he also made reference to the c forty which is the 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 group of uh, big cities around the world, and and we're one of the smallest in the group. So, you know, London, Paris, L.A., Copenhagen, Rome, Barcelona. And uh, he mentions, oh, well, we're a real innovator and we're going to be, you know, showing everybody else the way. Well, It's quite ridiculous, to be quite honest.
0: Okay, would you call on him and this council to back off of these parking fees, these pollution charges, just shut it down right now?
2: Absolutely. And uh you know, if I if I if the NPA forms the next uh majority on, on council and I'm the mayor, I would certainly put a stop to it right away. Um, there's just no way we need another fee, another tax. Uh it's 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 just too much. The other thing is I think it's gonna have the effect of people are gonna start paving their backyards or parking in their front yard. I think it's oh. anything but green, you know, to uh to, to do this um you know the, and in a lot of areas of the city you know there's a lot of people that might be a uh landscaping contractor who has a truck he parks in front of his house he's trying to make a living and he's going to get another big charge and if he wants to get a new upgraded truck they're going to ding him a thousand dollars absolutely ridiculous
0: okay so when you're saying that people might pave over their lawns what so they can park there and not have to pay the parking fee
2: well, that you know, I think people find ways, innovative ways, to avoid paying uh, fees, and uh, that could be one of them. And that's certainly not green, and I don't think the intention yeah. of this of this council. So, uh, I think there's a lot of holes in it, and uh, I'm just a hard no. I've been a hard no since I heard about it, and uh, certainly a lot of people seem to be feeling the same way.
0: Okay, speaking of Park Board Commissioner John Cooper, he's running to be the mayor of Vancouver. If we look at this thing on pure politics though like if i was to give you a shot of truth serum right now would you say that you you actually hope that kennedy stewart actually does support these parking fees and these pollution charges and mobility pricing because man what a great election issue for you come on
2: well well it would be but i mean we really (laughs) have to look at what's best for vancouver and and i try and look through it through that lens but certainly this is one of those things well you have basically you know a cope uh, one city the greens and the mayor who calls himself an independent um you know this is the kind of thing they have been they've been pushing through i can't presuppose how they're going to vote but i i hope they get a strong message not to do it and uh you know that's really the goal i i uh you know there's politics and then there's what's best for vancouver and i i always like to look it through what's best for vancouver
0: okay i got a feeling they're going to try and find a way to wiggle out of this thing because they know it's political kryptonite here but why do you oppose these ideas is it the impact in the economy the impact on renters why
2: well I think that there are a lot of unintended consequences you know we we have we already have a carbon tax we're paying a we're paying a tax on fuel we're we're you know we're where ICBC is helping to pay for various improvements to transportation. There's a lot of ways already that we are, we're, you know, we're doing some good things. There's no question. But I just think this is like a bridge too far. Um, you know, and it's another thing. It's going to be add a whole bunch of administration to the city of Vancouver. Right now, there's a huge backlog on permits to try to get housing built. Housing is what everybody wants. Now they want to add a whole new group in there when they can't manage what they already have. So I just think we need to be a bit leaner, a bit smarter, and uh, let's do the basic things that people want in this city, and and that's what I'm all about.
0: Okay, well, you've got a city council in the city hall that says they're looking at this because we're in a climate change crisis. We're in a global emergency here, right? So do you believe that climate change is real and it is caused by human activity?
2: Oh, of course. I was... Okay. Uh, in my, you know, my, my previous job, I was the president of the only carbon neutral transportation company in North America. So I, I, I know this very well. I had one of the first Teslas in the, in, in the city, uh, in my business, in the business, uh, I was in and, uh, certainly moved to hybrids and electric vehicles. And yes, of course it's real. I've been pushing for charging stations across the city. There's, you know, there's a lot of technology that's going to help solve a lot of our problems. And, uh, that's where we need to concentrate, not just take picking the pocket of the average person who's trying to make a living and get by in this
0: city. Okay, so you do therefore feel that this is a global crisis and the city of Vancouver must confront it somehow. Correct? Oh,
2: absolutely. There's lots yeah. of things that that we've been doing and uh one of the first things I'd like to do is how to stop putting sewage into False Creek, you know that would be go a good thing a, a, a good way to cleaning up the environment as well so there's a lot of things we can do that are very positive, and I think I've got a lot of great ideas around that but uh this one is just a tax let's call it that it's yeah. a tax and a fee, and uh it's a money making operation here
0: so you think it's a cash grab bottom line absolutely yeah, yeah, I mean, if you look at the way they've structured this thing where they say they want to bring in a pollution. Charge or a pollution fee, but only on new vehicles, and older vehicles would be exempt. Does that make any rational sense to you? That you know, newer cars are supposed to be more fuel-efficient and cleaner-burning vehicles, and and the older ones are the are the the gas-guzzling belchers.
2: Absolutely, it's the exact opposite of, of of a policy you'd want to achieve if we want we want people to move to uh, certainly electric vehicles hybrid vehicles and certainly uh what we call uh, ulevs which is a classification where these these uh internal combustion engines are uh very you know very low emissions and and you know we're doing a great job with that i mean cars cars today are much much cleaner and and uh you know that that's an important thing you got to think about so really you want to move people into a new car a new vehicle not penalizing them for that
0: Okay, how big of an election issue do you think this is? I mean, if we go, if we, if this city goes forward with this stuff, parking permits, pollution charges, mobility pricing fees, virtual toll booths, a paywall around the city of Vancouver to get people to stop driving. I mean, if they continue going down this road, is that like the key issue in an election next year? Possibly?
2: Uh, well, I think it'll be one of the one of the issues. I mean, there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of there's a lot of concern around public safety in the city right now as well. So I think there's a lot of bubbling up issues. I think we there's a feeling that this mayor really doesn't have his hand on the tiller, and that he, as as his comments were, you know, I just send staff out there and let them come back with their ideas, and then we have a look at it. We talk about it. Well, I think we need a, a mayor that's going to set some goals and set some policy and say, you know, this is the direction this mayor and council wants to go. Uh, let's make it happen. That's the key, and um, that's the way I would look at it, and that's the way I move forward as a city.
0: Okay, John Cooper, thank you for coming on the show today. Very grateful to you.
2: Thanks very much, Mike.
0: All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the sexual misconduct scandals rocking the top ranks of the Canadian military now. General Jonathan Vance, former chief of the defense staff, under investigation here. He had a couple of top military brass went golfing with them the other day even though he's under investigation for those allegations he had another top general just resigned over that so the water's getting deeper here for the Justin Trudeau government the conservatives now calling for the resignation of the defense minister Harjit Sajjan let's speak with my guest now federal conservative leader Aaron O'Toole and I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show thanks a lot for coming on
3: It's great to be back with you, Mike.
0: Okay, you're calling for the defense minister to resign. Of course, he's a local MP here in Vancouver. Can you make the case for that?
3: While we're calling for him to be terminated. Uh, He clearly won't resign. The the Canadian Armed Forces, Mike, is falling apart before our eyes. We've lost half a dozen generals. Uh, Mr. Sejan started a cover-up with respect to sexual harassment allegations going back three years, Um, fired the ombudsman. And before that, he misrepresented his role in Operation Medusa. He lied to the House of Commons about... Pulling the jets out from the fight against ISIS years ago. There's been several times the House has, has watched him mislead parliamentarians and Canadians. And then this sexual misconduct cover up is completely unacceptable. And as a veteran, Mr. Sejan won't do the honorable thing for an institution I know we both respect. So the Prime Minister needs to hold him to account and fire him.
0: Okay, when you say it's a cover up, I mean, he held a news conference a few days ago saying that he's ordered another review or investigation into sexual misconduct in the military. Is that just like what a do over? Because we just had one of those five years ago.
3: Uh, they 've appointed several judges they've they 've had years uh, to to implement changes, but this this is a cover up. Let me be absolutely clear, Mike. The ombudsman is a figure for the military that people can go to with a workplace complaint. People are familiar with with the role of an ombudsman. The ombudsman brought a complaint against our top general with respect to sexual misconduct. The same general, Harjit Sejan was asking to clean up uh, the harassment and and cultural issues in the military. Mr. Sajan fired the ombudsman and then worked with wow. Mr. Trudeau's chief of staff to make this complaint go nowhere. So he failed that woman, but larger than that, he sent a signal that there's no accountability. And we've seen this when the acting vice chief of defense staff, so that really the highest ranking general goes golfing with the person he's supposed to be investigating. Like you're talking uh-huh. old boys club, Mike, this is at uh-huh. a golf club. It is the old boys club. So there is zero respect for Minister Sejan. I respect his service years ago to our country. If he cares about the military he once served, he should resign or Mr. Trudeau hold him to account.
0: Okay, speaking to Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, you had a very fiery exchange with the Defence Minister in the House of Commons on this topic the other day. I want to play a little bit of that, and including his response to you, and then get your take on it. So here, you, here it is, uh, you questioning the de- Defence Minister, Harjit Sajjan, the other day here.
3: Three years ago, a woman came forward with an allegation of sexual misconduct against the top general, a close friend of that minister's, Mr. Speaker. The ombudsman brought the report to that minister. Three years ago, the minister fired the ombudsman, covered up and failed that woman serving her country. The minister, if he respects the institution he once served, He should do the honorable thing and resign. If not, the prime minister must hold that minister to account.
4: The honorable minister.
1: Mr. Speaker, as I said, it will take no lessons from the leader of the opposition when it comes to service uh, to this country. We take all allegations very seriously, as I did, and brought the immediate information to the appropriate officials. No politician should be ever investigating uh, or or, uh, starting investigations, Mr. Speaker. And maybe the leader of the opposition can answer the question, why did their previous government, when he was a minister in that government, appoint the previous chief of defense staff when he knew of the information uh, of allegations?
0: Okay, Uh, Aaron O'Toole, I'm interested in your response to the the point that he made at the end there, that talking about Jonathan Vance and pointing out that Vance, who's under investigation for allegations of sexual misconduct here, was actually appointed by the Stephen Harper government when you were the uh, Minister of Veterans Affairs. And there have been reports the last few days that you had concerns about Vance and had heard rumors about his conduct and had passed that on to the prime minister's office way back in 2015. Is that how it went down? Like you had you had concerns about this guy yourself when you guys hired him. Right?
3: I had concerns that we had to so show zero tolerance for sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, workplace harassment, particularly coming after the Deschamps report. So we had the Supreme Court of Canada justice look into this. And as a military person, I sent in saying we cannot have any outstanding allegations and I asked for rumors to be looked at rumors no name no nothing Uh, that's the type of leadership we need where there's going to be people held to account Mr. Sajan knew of someone specifically who, who actually complained to the ombudsman the person there for the military and uh, Mr. Sajan said there's no role for investigation. Actually, there is. He's lying to Canadians. The chief, the military's uh, national defence minister is in charge uh, of all investigations. They all report to him.
0: Okay, but and this but,
3: is this is this is the failure here, Mike.
0: Okay, but looking back, when you were the veterans affairs minister, and you just you just mentioned that you had heard rumors about this guy yourself, and and had, and had passed those on. Uh, are you satisfied that your previous government that you were part of uh, adequately investigated jonathan vance at that time when you heard rumors of misconduct
3: i heard rumors of a personal relationship between ranks that was looked at it wasn't it wasn't a rumor of harassment and that is why we ordered the deschamps report mike there was a cultural problem in the military i hate saying this as a veteran but there yeah. is a lack of accountability. And if I was to have my daughter, who's 14, want to join the military, I want to make sure she can do that free of harassment and with respect. And this is the type of leadership I will hold people to account. And Mr. Sejan has li- I've lost track of how many times he has lied, Mike. Okay, um, and you- I'm disappointed to say that. But that's that's his record. And he's he's right now presiding over the military falling apart. We're losing dozens of generals. Who's in charge of all those generals? Him. Okay, he's you all, responsible.
0: You're calling for him to be fired by the prime minister. One of the things that you brought up was not only the sexual misconduct scandals that are rocking the military here, but you also referred to uh, Sajin uh, misrepresenting his record when he was in Afghanistan. And this goes back to Operation Medusa, which was Canada's largest battle in Afghanistan. He, at one point, had described himself as the architect of this battle. Um, he then apologized and, and said that wasn't the case. Let me let me play a bit of the apology uh, that he delivered. This is going back a few years now. Get your thoughts on it. Harjit Sajjan here. Mr.
1: Speaker,
2: uh, thank you for this opportunity. I would like to apologize for my mistake in, uh, in describing my role. I uh, retract uh, that, uh, that statement, that description, um, and I'm truly sorry for it. I, in no way, intended to um, uh, diminish
1: the, the great work that our men and women in the Canadian Armed Forces have done in our superiors, and, and I'm truly sorry. I'm not uh, here to standing up to make any excuses uh, for it. I'm here to be able to
2: acknowledge my uh, mistake, uh, to be able to uh, apologize for it, uh, to be able to learn from it, and so I can continue uh, to serve uh, uh, the, uh, the men and women in the Canadian Armed Forces. Thank you.
0: Okay. Defense Minister Harjit Sajjan there apologizing in the House of Commons four years ago, and, and Aaron O'Toole, you can hear the Conservatives giving him a rough ride over that. So you think that's still a firing offense like four years later?
3: It's a pattern of behavior, Mike. Um, I also in the House yesterday mentioned Admiral Mark Norman. Who fired Mark yeah. Norman? Yeah. Harjit Sajjan's friend, Jonathan Vance. They ruined the career reputation of a fine Canadian over liberal corruption on shipbuilding. And that all happened under Harjit agents watch. We don't know how many millions they've paid Admiral Norman with taxpayer money because of that scandal. So I, can, I could do an hour's worth of conversation with you, Mike, about how many times this minister, uh, I, gave, I cut him slack. I've praised his service as an intelligence officer in Afghanistan, I respect that. But I don't respect a pattern of, of lying, no accountability, sending a signal to women that this sort of old boys club will be tolerated. And it's clear the senior generals do not respect their minister. We need to, to save an institution that I care a great deal about. The military gave me so much. Right. And and it needs to be better, and, and it needs a minister that will demand that level of accountability.
0: Okay. It's uh, certainly a story we're paying close attention to. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate you being a guest on the show once again. Thanks for
3: covering it, Mike. Be well.
0: All right. There we go now with the extended liquor service for B.C. bars, bars pubs, and restaurants. Last call has now been extended. It was 10 p.m., you can now get a drink right up until the stroke of midnight. Wow, As part of the step two of the reopening plan for British Columbia here. And a lot of pub owners breathing a sigh of relief all around the province as they can serve a little longer now. Let's check in with Al Deacon now from the Fox and Hounds Pub in Kamloops. Al, thanks a lot for coming on.
5: Good morning. How are you today?
0: I'm doing great. So what's it like now to be able to serve until midnight?
5: Well, you know what? It hasn't uh, affected us as of yet. Um, right now, we are so in dire need of, uh, of staff, we can't, uh, we're still closing at 10 o'clock. We can't feel the wow. team, uh, a full team right now. So yeah, it's not the, not the state of the industry that we were hoping for when this pandemic was uh, nearing its end.
0: Gee whiz. Okay, that's amazing. Would you like to stay open till midnight if you had the staff?
5: We would love to, honestly, yeah. you know, when uh, we looked at the at the rollout uh, of the opening up of, uh, of the dates, we were looking forward to uh, June the 15th, but, uh, yeah, we can't find staff in any of our departments, uh, servers, on the bar, in the kitchen, we've been running ads, you know, uh, social media, Kijiji, Indeed, and, uh, yeah, everybody just wants to stay home and collect their $500 a week.
0: Oh, wow, that's amazing. How many, um, when things, before the dark times, Al, and before the pandemic hit, uh, did and when the pandemic hit, did you have to lay off a lot of your people?
5: We did. We had to lay off, and we had to rehire them, and we had to re- lay them off again. So, you know, a lot of the staff, and, and we're talking long-term staff, have, uh, have gone on to uh, different uh, vocations. They just felt, uh, you know, quite vulnerable with uh, hospitality and have moved on to other things.
0: Okay, that's incredible. So you're now trying, searching high and low to find people to work. And are people telling, when you said they'd rather just stay home, you mean they'd just rather stay home and government assistance? What, they don't want to work?
2: Well, that's
5: exactly it. You know, you interview uh, somebody, they want to work between 12 and 18 hours a week only so that they can uh, take a little bit from the paycheck and but still be eligible for the SERPs. So, you know, we're hoping for bigger and uh, better things. But I know, you know, all around the province, everybody's crying. Uh, we're, all, we're all preaching the same thing.
0: Okay. Speaking to Al Deacon from the Fox and Hounds Pub in Camloops, how many people are you looking to hire there?
5: We're looking for oh, probably three in the kitchen, uh, three bartenders, and a couple of strong servers. And um, yeah, you know what? We're we're advertising right now. We're we're bringing old family members back and old staff back to uh, try to you know weather the storm until we can find adequate staff to uh, field a team to get us through the rest of the summer.
0: Okay, they just raised the minimum wage in in British Columbia, including uh, the minimum wage for alcohol servers. There used to be a, a lower minimum wage for liquor servers. The government has decided to scrap that, so people who are liquor servers, like a server in your pub, uh, looking to get an even bigger uh, bigger raise under the minimum wage, has that that obviously has not been enough to attract people back to work.
5: It hasn't. It's, um, you know, th- there is good money to be made in hospitality. It's just yeah. that our industry is, uh, is I wouldn't say it's doomed, but it has certainly appeared to be vulnerable. Um, and people, you know, when you got rent to pay or you got mortgages to pay or you got uh, kids to raise, people want some certainty. So, you know, taking the, moving out of hospitality into a different field. I think many think that that's going to be, uh, you know, the answer to their woes.
0: Okay, this has been a brutal period for the hospitality industry, especially for bars and pubs. Were you able to to stay open, Al, during this thing? Like, did, were you able to get a patio going or anything like that?
5: We did open up a patio, which was uh, which was great, um, and it did help us, you know, immensely. We were doing curbside pickup, but that uh, that wasn't uh, proving to be, you know, too successful. So, uh, yeah, our patio extension was fantastic. Uh, you know, once again, all it's weather dependent. You know, so when the skies open up. You're at a loss, so you basically have staff coming in to do nothing. You know, you send them home after two hours, and or keep them around, and hopefully that there's a break in the clouds, and you can uh, get back to you know selling what we do. So, um, yeah, now that we're back open, you know, we're hoping that uh, people are gonna want to get back to work in this industry because it's a fantastic industry to work for. And um, yeah, fingers crossed. Let's, let's get back to normal.
0: How about your customers? What are you hearing from them? Are they anxious to get back in and have a meal and a pint?
5: Yes, yeah, some are on the fence. Some are a little bit, yeah. uh, you know, leery to come out too fast, too too soon. You know, it's. Uh, um, but know, uh, people are coming out. They're still staying within their cohorts, which is which is nice. And um, yeah, but they're slowly starting to slowly starting to get back to normal.
0: Okay, so what is your hope here going forward? I mean, you've got you're allowed to serve now until midnight. I guess it's just a question of just finding people to come back to work, right?
5: Yeah, you know, we're we're anticipating, you know, come July 1st we can, you know, bring more tables and chairs into our establishments, but uh right. that's that's not going to work if you can't have staff. Um so we're uh yeah, once again we're we're pleading to everybody to uh, you know, come and drop off a resume at a at a neighborhood pub or a restaurant and uh get back in the workforce. It's uh yeah, it's a great uh industry to work for and um yeah. How much Good morning, can you everybody.
0: Okay, how much can you work like, or how much can you make? Like, let's say you're a, a waiter in, in a busy in a busy pub. How, how much can you conceivably take home, like, with tips?
4: Oh,
5: Michael, it's uh, I guess it depends from area to area. Yeah. but uh, yeah. You know, if a person's not bringing in another twenty bucks an hour, you know, on top of uh, their wage, you know, on a busy Friday or Saturday, I think you've got the wrong people hired. So, um, yeah. there's good money, you know. It's uh, it it's enticing. some people get into it and have a hard time leaving, but uh, this pandemic has certainly proven otherwise.
0: Right. You mentioned July 1st it would be the next step in the reopening and you'll be allowed to have more people inside. Like how many people can you have inside um, the Fox and Hounds Pub in Kamloops right now?
5: Well, we're licensed. Well, we're licensed to 100, uh, 170. Uh, right now, with all the safety and, and the social distancing, uh, we are allowed to have 112 people in here, plus our 20 seats on the patio. So we're a fairly big room, uh, but uh, if we haven't got the staff. We got to close off sections of uh, of our pub right now.
0: Did you ever get to the point where you were you were worried about being able to hang on and maybe having to close your doors?
5: Not really. We've been in the Fox and right. Hounds now. We've owned it since 1983. Um, so our heels are dug deep into this community, and and we have the support of everybody so you know when curbside first um was available we did get some support you know initially but then it tails off you know people want to come out in, in gangbusters but then they lose sight of uh, of the big picture and go back to their everyday you know routine so um being back open is just fantastic for for us and everybody and uh there was never a time where we thought that we were going to have to you know close our doors uh yeah. definitely no
0: Al, good luck to you, man. Thanks for talking today. I hope you get a bunch of resumes coming in the door today, and I appreciate your time.
5: Thanks for having me online. Thanks, Michael.
0: All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about reopening the Canada-U.S. border now as the vaccine rate goes up and COVID cases come down, pressure growing now in Canada and the United States to reopen the border to recreational and non-essential travel. We could see some movement on this later this week. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, a meeting with Canadian premiers in a virtual conference on Thursday. This is expected to be a top agenda item. Have a listen to this now. Here is B.C. Premier John Horgan on reopening the border safely.
1: I want to see a clear plan from the federal government on how they're going to monitor uh, who's coming, how they're coming.
0: Okay, and also here is Justin Trudeau uh, saying there's no official date for getting that border reopened. We have no uh, announcements
1: to make today. Uh, June 21st, the 21st of every month, is the day on which um, the measures we've had for many, many months between Canada and the United States uh, does uh, get rolled over or or not. Uh, We are still very much working both with uh medical professionals, with uh, uh, epidemiological experts, uh, with partners in the United States. And uh, when uh, there are announcements to make, uh, you can be sure we'll be making them.
0: Okay, let's get a key uh, uh, view on this from south of the border. My guest is New York Congressman Brian Higgins. He represents the District of Western New York in the House of Representatives, and he is the mm-hmm. co-chair of the Border Caucus. I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Congressman, thank you for coming on. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. You bet. I appreciate it a lot. You've been advocating for some time now to get that border reopened. Can you tell me uh, what your argument is here for getting the border opened again?
4: Certainly. For the past 15 months, both uh, uh, citizens of the United States and Canada have been told to follow the science, to follow the facts, to follow the data. And our Centers for Disease Control uh, says that if you are in the United States, if you are fully vaccinated, you can resume activities without wearing a mask or physically distancing. I think what's being lost here is the powerful medicine that this vaccine is against the disease. In other words, you have a very high level of immunity if you're fully vaccinated, from giving COVID and for giving COVID, for giving COVID or forgetting COVID, and therefore, you know, those who have been fully vaccinated on both sides of the board should be able to move. And at the very least, at the very least, you know, uh, loved ones who have been separated for 15 months, if they're fully vaccinated, they have immunity. They pose no risk to anybody else to reunite with your loved one. If, in, if you live in Buffalo, as I do, or Niagara Falls, New York, and you have uh, property, a cottage at Bay Beach, Ontario, or Thunder Bay, or Crystal Beach, you should be able to go and visit, maintain, and enjoy your property. This border needs to be opened. And the two people that can make this happen are uh, United States President Joe Biden and Canadian Prime Minister uh, Justin the they're, 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 they're men of goodwill. Uh, follow the science. Follow the facts. Uh, we were told, you know, that we would have to socially distance that we would have to shut down. But the inflection point would be the availability of vaccines. And nobody anticipated the astonishing effectiveness of these vaccines, in many cases, 95 percent, wow. even against the variants and even against the, the, the so-called Delta variants.
0: Okay. Speaking to U.S. Congressman Brian Higgins, Congressman, you represent uh, an area in Western New York State, very close to the border of Southern Ontario. Uh, a lot of border crossings there. Um, have you, and you're also a co-chair of the, of the Northern Border Caucus. Are you hearing from other uh, political officials on both sides of the border, like a, across the continent here, across the country, including here in, in Western Canada? Uh, you know, are, are you hearing demands to open this border? all the way along the line?
4: Uh, no direct uh, contact with any MPs from Western Canada, but certainly from the Toronto area and from, uh, from uh, the eastern provinces, uh, plus a lot of the mayors, the mayor of Niagara Falls, Ontario, and the mayor of Windsor and, and those places uh, where people are just, you know, they recognize that, you know, we have to move here. Uh, You've got to be able to do two things. You've got to manage the crisis as it exists, and then recognize that many people have, in fact, been fully vaccinated. And those people should not have to wait uh, to be able to cross the border, particularly if these are highly personal reasons uh, that they're doing that, property ownership, reuniting with a loved one.
0: Okay, you're suggesting, Congressman, that people who are fully vaccinated should be allowed to cross the border, and I, I think that is clearly going to be the way forward here at some point. So people have received the first shot of the vaccine and the second booster shot. When we take a look at the vaccination rates on both sides of the country or both sides of the border, we see that in the United States, you guys have had access to a lot more vaccine than here than, than we have had in Canada. So there's there's many more people have received the second dose of the vaccine in the United States and a much lower percentage have been fully vac- fully vaccinated in Canada, does that create a problem in opening that border up if more Americans are allowed to cross the border than Canadians proportionately?
4: No, I think the real test is not nationality. The real test is if, in fact, you are safe from getting COVID or giving COVID. And therefore you pose very little risk, if any, uh, to anybody relative to getting very sick from this disease. And we should celebrate the fact that we do have vaccines. There are a percentage of Canadians, right now, 62% of Canadians are about 23 and a half million people have received at least one dose of the COVID vaccine. Uh, About 45% of Americans are fully vaccinated. Those people right. intermingling with uh, with people that are vaccinated and people who aren't. Uh, again, uh, you know there needs to be a recognition a recognition that uh, that these people are fully vaccinated. The, the Canadian problem that it relates to vaccines. You know your country does not produce one dose of vaccine owing to public policy a long time ago about strict price controls and duration of patents. The pharmaceutical uh, vaccine-making industry has basically left Canada. Uh, I believe that the United States should assist our Canadian friends and neighbors in getting more doses. But regardless of what the percentage is, that percentage uh, for which uh, they are fully vaccinated should be able to cross the border, posing no risk to themselves, to their families, or to anybody else.
0: Congressman, final question for you. There may be some people listening who are maybe not uh, as enthusiastic about opening the border uh, as you are right now for reasons of, of public health and safety. Um, there may be people who think like, well... You know, is this just about tourism? But it's not just about tourism dollars, right? Like you've, you've pointed out, that people want to visit family. They want they they may have legitimate business interests across the border. They may own property on the on other sides of the border. Could you comment on that? Like the reasons people want to travel across the border again? Sure, they're highly personal.
4: Uh, it's not all economics. It's life quality. It's mental health. Uh, that is a big public health problem. that's emerged uh, from this fifteen uh, month shutdown. Uh, it's about life quality. It is about economics as well. But think about this. When you're making an exception for the National Hockey League, what is that driven yeah. by? Is it driven by science? Is it driven by fact? Is it driven by data? No, it's driven by the National Hockey League uh, Stanley Cup playoff schedule. So, you know, there are exceptions. A million people are crossing the border every day and have been for 15 months. Guess what? They haven't been vaccinated. Uh, where I live in Buffalo and Western New York, we have the Peace Bridge, one of the busiest northern border crossings. Uh, uh, 10,000 people cross that bridge every every day, and uh, there's been no incident. Now that we have vaccines, we were told that was the inflection point. That was the game changer. And those who have, vac- have been vaccinated because the vaccine is such powerful medicine against giving or getting COVID, the disease, they should be able to travel.
0: Congressman, thank you for your time today. I appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for having me, sir. Take care.